Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Jersey Joe Corner. It is brought to you by Big Heads Media. It is going to be a great hockey season uh, coming right up. A lot of interesting things. Uh, Anchor.fm will help you uh, start your podcast and get things rolling. It's going to be a lot smoother when you uh, when you get the Anchor app, and it's so much easier to navigate. Even their online website at Anchor.fm is very efficient, and you can do a lot of great things with it. With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. Hello, can you guys hear me? Hey, Alex, I got you in there. Hold on a second. I'm right. trying to get Jim in. All right, sounds good. All right, so th- this is a little funny that you came in and uh, it's just you and me for the moment. Yeah. This is the man of the hockey writers. He covers Devil's Hockey, put out a recent article. Let's talk a little bit about it when uh, Jimmy Boy gets on, but let's, let's talk a little bit about – all right, Jim. Hey, what's up, right. everybody? How we there doing we tonight? We, we got everyone in. Yes, we did. Yeah. So table discussion. The, as I like to, I know there's the uh, the roundtable discussion on SiriusXM. I quote, "This is mine. I'm going to try to trademark it." Welcome to another edition of the air table discussion, talking Devils hockey. Um, here we go. Tuesday night. Yeah, here we go. All right, so we're not going to talk about the NHL draft right away. That's going to be like the, the back burner issue at the end. Um, what I want to do is Jim proposed this idea is that we start from uh, the beginning season. and then we go and then we go from and then we go through the regular season and then to the draft. So let's start off with the preseason a little bit. So uh, drafted Jack Hughes, which I believe is the right move. Um, you traded and signed for Nikita Gusev, traded for P.K. Subban, acquired Wayne Simmons. Um, now we go – let's go to opening night versus Winnipeg. Um, basically, you know, Schneider broke down. Alex, you can go from there. Um, yeah, I mean, so obviously the things were looking really good in the first part of that game. They were up, what was it, 4 nothing? I think, at one yeah, point? Yeah, 4 nothing. Yeah, 4 nothing. Yeah. And, yeah, and then Blake Coleman had that ridiculous, like, one-handed goal. And you were like, all right, well, you know, with the offseason and everything, it was looking great. And then uh, Schneider goes down with cramps, and Blackwood comes in cold in, like, the third period. And after that, um, it was just basically – 
it was basically a, a sum of how the season would go for the Devils because everything after that went completely wrong. Yeah, it just, felt like it felt like that. Like that's that night set the tone for the rest of the season. Yeah, I like, would agree. If they win that game, you know everything's positive. But all this negative energy just kept going after that game, and they just never found a way to stop it. Yeah, and then like it's. I don't think we'll ever know, but like they said, Schneider went down with just cramps, but like maybe he was, I don't know, because he's had hip injuries in the past. Maybe he was a little bit banged up there and he never, like they never really went public with it because uh, he looked great in the preseason. You were like, all right, I think he's going to be able to continue what of, off what he did um, at the end of last season. But then like. I don't know. He gets. He was never the same after that point. He goes down. He plays in Binghamton for two months, and you know everything was just kind of a mess after that. And then it wasn't just Schneider. The whole team wasn't playing playing well at that point. To me, it was a mixture of John Hines, a mixture of the power play wasn't clicking. Yeah. Then it was Taylor Hall wasn't playing up to snuff, or as Jim Source said that he checked out in the first few games. Is that true, Jim? Yeah, I mean, that's what I've been told. I mean, you could tell from the beginning. Um, I, I was just watching the first couple games, and I'd be like, and I would text somebody that I know, and I'd be like, hey, it feels like Hall's checked out, and all I get, would get was, would be a thumbs up as a reply. Uh, that's just my opinion, but what, what do you – you feel the same way, Alex? Um, I mean, it's kind of hard to know. I don't – know if he ever checked out i think maybe it was just more of a thing that like the knee injuries finally caught up to him a little bit because he just didn't look like the same skater and even when he went to arizona it, it wasn't like all of a sudden oh well you know this is the taylor hall that won the mvp he still kind of struggled in arizona too so i don't know if i wouldn't say he maybe he checked out but i it's tough to say if you're not in the locker room and you're not around him i think it was just more that injuries kind of caught up to him a little bit and you know, he may not be that dominant player he was a couple of years ago anymore. So was it? Yeah, like two knee injuries when he was with the Devils. Yeah, he had that and 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 some other player related injuries that got to him eventually. Yeah, he. I know in his MVP season, I think he had what like the torn ligament in his hand or something like that. And then the season the before, he had like a yeah, and then he had like a torn meniscus in 2016-17. So. You know, those are some serious injuries that take a little, they'll take a toll on you at some point. Oh, definitely, especially with those torn meniscus. Um, but I was going to say, you know, the way his performance has been, do you think that um, he would, his value um, from this season going into free agency, do you think it's dropped a little bit? Yeah, I don't. If he was expecting to get somewhere around ten to eleven million dollars per season, I don't think he's going to get that anymore. And and it's kind of unfortunate that the the season just ended because of the coronavirus, and he didn't get a chance to conclude it. And maybe, you know, if the Coyotes found a way to get into the playoffs, he would have ended up having a great playoffs and boosted his value. So yeah, I think it's going to take a little bit of a hit. I don't even know if he's going to get the term he wants at this point. I. I think teams might be a little bit reluctant to give him a seven-year deal if, if he gets in free agency. So it might be one of those deals where he has to kind of look for like maybe a two, three-year deal, hope he does really well, and then maybe try to catch out after that. I think like what Cam Jansen said on our last episode was, you know, you got to be a really smart business mind and not, and not give too much term, but the right amount of money 
And yeah. And it seems like you're in the right ballpark. I think if I am John Chayka, I'm looking at three year or two year, uh, five and a half, seven and a half million dollars in that range. Maybe some uh, little bit extra bonus money if he performs to certain levels, but then it's you really don't know what's going on from there because the cap may um, decrease a little bit more than we thought it would. Yeah, eighty-two and eighty-eight over three-year span could deteriorate. Yeah, no, that's definitely possible. Because um, I think what Daly was saying before the coronavirus suspensions that they were expecting, like the cap, what to go up to maybe eighty-eight million or something like that. Around, I there. think the the proposed range was eighty-four to eighty-eight million. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Um, with most likely the figure being around like eighty four and a half, eighty five. No one expects it to go to eighty eight. I mean, that would be really great. I think the eighty eight million was if the players did something with escrow, right. like really accelerated it to be eighty eight million. But I think the number I think people were settling on was like eighty four and a half, eighty five. Yeah, and I imagine it's probably not going to even get to that at this point with the loss of like playoff revenue and stuff. So. Um, yeah, that might affect. Um, it might. It's gonna put teams in a tighter cap crunch too. So, like, say if a contender is looking to bring in Hall and they don't really have the money, that might limit his options a little bit too. I know back in the Athletic a couple of weeks ago, Corey Massasak um, mentioned like it's really unlikely that Hall comes back to the Devils, but like you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I don't see it happening, but I mean. If he really doesn't get what he wants, you know, I, I know ownership loved him, so um, that would be an interesting. That'd be an interesting game on the off season. I think, yeah, it would be. I think if I put my GM hat on right now, I mean, if Taylor's going to ask for more money than what I would expect out of a, a younger forward going forward, I would move on from Hall completely because. Um, why do you want the same performance out of last year's guy and someone who's getting no offense he, that he's a little bit older than me? He's about, or he's a little bit younger than me. He's in his early thirties, but um, who knows where the rest of his potential is and when he's going to uh, start to really, really slow down. And I started to see a little bit of that. And that kind of scared me off after um, the devils traded him to Arizona for Kevin ball and, uh, and Merkley and Schnarr. So, yeah, I mean that's, that's where I'm moving on from him. Yeah, I, I, I mean it's tough. I really love Hall as a player. I know it got kind of rough with fans at the end, but if you look back to that 2017-18 season, I mean the Devils fans haven't had a more exciting season than that since the 2012 Stanley Cup. So and he's the first Hart Trophy winner in the the franchise's history. So like I look back on his time. Uh, you know, positively for the most part, even though it ended kind of sat on a sour note. But um, I mean, the Devils have a ton of cap space, so if you know, if it ever got to that point, you know, it could they could end up doing it again. But yeah, I agree with you. I don't. I would probably move on from him and just try to to look uh, into getting a, a younger team around Jack and Nico and you know Jesper and those guys. Yeah, and then you know, you know, we have the Hall trade, right. We had then John Hines gets fired. Well, that might have happened beforehand, but you had John Hines get fired, yep. Hall trade, and then we had the the Sunday that shocked like everybody. Yeah, where Ray Shiro gets fired. I, I mean, was that shocked was, that day. That too. was really yeah. That was really. <laughs> crazy. I, I didn't. I don't think anyone like 
I saw a lot of people say this too is when Cheryl got fired. Like it was shocking, but it also wasn't surprising. Like if right. you look at the team's results under Cheryl, they had that one season in 2017-18. I was kind of just because Hall went freaking crazy and they got great goal, uh, goaltending from Schneider in the first half of the season and then Kincaid in the second half. So like, but like if you look at Cheryl's like body of work for the most part, it was kind of it shouldn't have been this bad. Um, going into what was it season five with him so like i understand it from that perspective from yeah i mean and and then all the moves they made in the summer to get right suban simmons gusev you know i mean suban and simmons didn't really work out um gusev it took a while but he looks like he's gonna be really good going forward yeah he's yeah he's he's definitely amazing yeah no he's i I mean i don't know if they're gonna re-sign him this summer but it'd definitely be on my short list of some off-season moves to do i mean he's uh he's just an amazing playmaker he has such great vision and he might not be the greatest skater but like he's just he's so good offensively and that's the type of player the devils kind of need right now I think he's this this generation's version of Stefan Richet in a way where he can snipe a lot and he has that but he has that extra like a young Kovalchuk does like where he sees one play ahead and one few too many inches ahead where he could create a little bit of space between him and the defenseman and the goaltender that yeah. most people don't see when you draft a player and that's what Tampa Bay saw when they drafted him and then they eventually had to trade him in the expansion draft to Vegas yeah, it's his vision is just I haven't even Hall was the team's best passer until you know they traded him and then, but I, I can't remember seeing a passer like Gusev on the Devils and I don't, I have I guess since Eliash was around. Um, I would say Gomez. Yeah, I was thinking I was gonna say Gomez originally too, but then I was like, oh, Patrick Eliash was a pretty good passer too. But I know they were both so yeah. good. Um, yeah, it was just Gusev's vision's elite. You could see why he had what like sixty-two assists in the KHL last season, and why he was like the MVP and stuff. Like he's never going to be like a thirty-forty goal scorer, but I think in a full season, no, yeah, in a full season, you could expect like forty to fifty assists from him for sure. It's going to be interesting to see what he does next year. There's not going to be a transition for him. It's going to be going straight into NHL play. So, um, yeah, if you're looking for something to be excited about with the Devils next season, Gusev is definitely one of them. And going back to Shiro for a minute. Yeah. Um, sorry, Joe, to cut you off. I there. was going to say, um, do you we're, th- we're talking about uh, Shiro uh, skipped a summer of free agency and they compounded so much offseason work in one season because they had missed out on so much. Yeah. But Shiro's been basically, re- he basically rehabbed the team from Lou's uh, mismanagement and drafting over the years that it's, it's showing a lot, but um, we're not at the point where the pipeline is totally reliable to the fullest extent where it could be like, pay, pick up this guy from uh, down to Newark and get him plugged into this spot. We need a full-time GM and a, and a full-time coach and a full-time staff that will be you know, adding in each player uh, one by one that fit each other's chemistry and – like Danico said on another podcast where you can't have just skilled guys. You need to have also uh, guys with high energy and grit. And he said that in the last Devils podcast. And I actually agree with that. And Cam Jansen backed him up saying you need big physical guys, skilled guys in a, on a team Lewis. And you, and you don't want to rush all these rookies. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with 
with uh, Dano and I, I was listening last night to Cam Jensen. I agree with him too. Um, I think that's why they need players like Nathan Bastian, Joey Anderson, like kind of guys who have a little bit of offensive punch, but you're going to be playing like bottom goals and they're going to probably play like a physical game. So like they need players like that to start, you know, making their way in the NHL. I think that was definitely one of um, Cheryl's faults, I guess, is just not really getting like, they they don't have a physical edge on the team. Like he did a great job getting guys like Kyle Palmieri and Taylor Hall and uh, some skilled guys in the draft, like Jesper Bratt and obviously Hughes and Nico. But like, yeah, they definitely need, um, they definitely need to find a way to get it tough. I think they have some prospects in the system that will get there at some point. Do you think one of um, Shiro's other faults um, was not signing, re-signing Taylor Hall this offseason, this past offseason? Um, I think in hindsight, definitely. I, I wouldn't say definitely. I think in hindsight, no. I think they were concerned about the injuries um, because what was it too many injuries? I think they, they were a little concerned about the injuries. That's my guess. Uh, I think there's a reason why they didn't just give him a blank check in July, even though the owners wanted to, or it seemed like the owners really wanted to resign him. So now I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's a fault of his. I think if this season was an, a, like a true indication of Hall maybe starting to go in decline a little bit, then they might have actually gotten a little bit lucky that uh, they didn't sign him to like a ridiculous eight-year deal, you know, with like an, uh, a cap hit, you know, above $10 million. I, don't, I wouldn't say that's a fault of Shero's. Okay. And then, you know, the, one of the things Joe and I've always talked about is you have to go through, I don't want to classify players as mis, misfit toys, but it's an analogy. One of, the, one of the guys I talk with a lot about hockey and you look with like these um, expansion teams that came in Vegas aside, they have all these players that they get from other teams and they have to figure out who's fits in and they have to go through all these, you know, new toys, you know, whatever. It seems like that's what Shiro was doing down on the farm with these guys, especially the guys that, like, Lou drafted. I mean, there's some of those guys are finally showing um, progression, Mikey McLeod being one of them, uh, Bastion, Joey Anderson. But I think, like you said, I feel like Shiro didn't get enough out of those guys to show, like, okay, like, what happened with Pittsburgh? Guys would, you know, a guy would go down, like, a Crosby or a Malkin, boom, you know, Jay Ketzel's up, you know, Connor Shiro's here, boom. Like these guys fit right in. It felt like the the devil's guys just didn't like get in right away. Yeah, I mean, there's Brian Rust too, of course. Was yeah, famous, who was another Cheryl. I think Cheryl signed Brian Rust when uh, he signed a lot of players and drafted a lot of players. That are yeah, still I think there. Gensel was one of his draft picks too. So like a lot of the, he still has his imprint on the Penguins. And uh, I agree with Jim there. I don't, but like anytime the Devils pl- brought up someone. From Binghamton, I just feel like they didn't really like contribute anything. But at the same time, they were bringing up like they brought jo- Joey Anderson up. It was kind of obvious he wasn't really ready for the NHL yet. And I think if you look at this season, you could probably make that case for Jesper Boquist. He, he he was great in Sweden last season, but didn't look like he was really NHL ready. So um, and they just they didn't have the organizational depth yet to get at that point where they could be like Pittsburgh where they could say like, I don't know, Nico or Kyle goes down, you bring up someone from Binghamton and you know, you're not really missing a beat. They're just, they're not at that point yet. And I think, I don't know if I could say that's Cheryl's fault. I just think it maybe it actually was going to take a lot longer for that to happen because of how bad a shape the devils were in when he took over. 
Yeah, I mean, not really, not really a fault. I just, I like, really, just an observation because. Oh yeah, see, no. It, it's just well, you see it, you see going back, like the Devils were the king of drafting and developing during their championship runs. Guys would just come up and like that 2000 team, three rookies just come in and they win a cup. It's like it, it, unheard of. Yeah, and uh, I mean the Devils haven't been like that for a long time now. I mean those back, you know, after like that 2003 Cup is really when lose drafting just really went downhill after that. Like the last, I think the last good picks he really made were obviously Zach Parise and Travis Zajac, and then I guess it was Miles Wood or I mean Damon, yeah, Damon Severson was I think one of his draft picks, and Blake Severson Coleman was a second. Yeah, and Blake Coleman was one of his draft picks too in the later rounds. So. But uh, I mean, everyone knows about lose drafting at this point. And, yeah, and, and we got a high return on equity for um, Blake Coleman when you got Nolan Foot, who who's a really good power forward and a really good sniper with that heavy shot. And yeah. Even Hockey Canada, their goaltending coach said that his shot is so heavy that it's it's like a bowling ball going in on the goaltenders. That's um, it's a pretty good comparison because. Yeah, I mean, I think of the Devils' prospects for now. He's definitely got the best shot out of all of them, but like by far. And Devils fans are they? First of all, Devils need a player like that. They don't have anyone with an elite shot other than Kyle Palmieri and probably Jesper Bratt. So, um, yeah, it's going to be exciting to see Foot when he uh, finally breaks in the NHL. I feel it's the right move to allow him to go into. Uh, Binghamton, almost at Albany, but it's I know it's Binghamton. <laughs> uh, that's how I'm. I'm starting to show my age a little bit, my brain age. <laughs> but um, I, I certainly believe that um, a lot of these kids are coming over. Um, you know, from the CHL, we talk about those kids like a foot, like an Ohotyuk or a ball, whatever. They're, we're going to see them in death camp or whatever they're going to do once this COVID nineteen ends. Yeah, and we, the fans and evaluators of podcasting, whatever you want to call it, um, we will be able to get an even better in depth look and be like saying, This guy might need a year of seasoning, maybe a half a season of seasoning, and this kid might be ready, or this kid is ready, or maybe needs a couple of years more. Yeah, I think you'll see that with uh, a bunch of players. Uh, in camp uh, foot being one of them uh, Ty Smith you know we'll see if he's finally ready to just go straight into the NHL um, who else is going to be uh, I mean will even like guys who played in the NHL this year is like will Boquist be able to take that next step forward well Joey Anderson uh, Kevin Ball too so yeah this should be a pretty interesting uh, training camp and preseason for the Devils assuming you know it gets started on time my, my yeah. two questions left for the Russians would be Will Daniel Misule come over, and will Arseny Gritschuk uh, be ready enough to eventually come over to New Jersey and go to, let's say, uh, Binghamton and play with Yegor Sharangovich and, uh, and a couple of the other uh, Eastern European players? Uh, I don't even – I think Gritschuk just played in the Russian Junior League like pretty much all season. I don't know if he – if did he play in the MHL or the VHL this season? I, I think believe it was, it was the MHL. He scored something like – I think it was like 60-something. Big yeah. playmaker. Like he does take in like at least 20 goals at least at minimal. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I don't think he would come over this – 
season. I think he's probably going to, the next step for him would be start playing professionally in Russia and either the VHL or if he can get KHL time, that'd be great. And then, yeah, I know uh, Devils, Missyul looked uh, pretty decent at the World Junior Championship and he's a pretty big dude as it is. So, um, but I don't know if he, I don't know what his contract is like in Russia too. So, um, and I don't think the KHL and the NHL really have like an out clause kind of thing. So I think he's probably going to be in Russia for a little longer. Yeah, and then, so, you know, going through the season, Devils make the coaching change in Azardine from Hines, you know. what? How do you think, evaluate uh, the differences, you know, between Hines and Azardine? You think one was doing better than the other? Was it time for Hines to go? Because he had been here just as long as Shiro. Uh, I think one of, this. we can even tie this back into what we were talking about with Cheryl's faults before. I think one of the biggest mistakes he made was hanging on to Heinz as long as he did because it was kind of obvious in October, honestly, that yeah, it looked like the players were checked out on him. And, you know, from what I've heard, that was kind of the case as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it was definitely time for him to go. Uh, they should have done it a lot earlier. I don't know if it would have been able to save the season, but... Um, yeah, they made the right move doing it. Um, they were just playing. They were playing a style of play on their hinds that I just didn't feel like it fit the makeup of the roster. They, they have a bunch of smaller, you know, skilled wing or forwards, I should say, like Jack Hughes and Jesper Bratt and Paul Mary. That they they don't they just they're not meant to be playing in this slow pace, like kind of grind it out kind of system. And that's one of the biggest changes that Nazardine made, at least. They didn't really make like any systemic changes. They just played at a much faster pace on their Nazardine. Um, so that was good. But I mean, if you look at the if you look at the underlying numbers between each coach, I mean, Nazardine really didn't fare that much better. They just got insane goaltending from Mackenzie Blackwood and even Schneider when he came back up for a few games. So um it'd be interesting to see what the Devils do with Nazardine, but I would definitely not I, I'm not trying to bring him back as the permanent head coach next season. Yeah. I think, Do you think... Be a, I think he'd be a good assistant coach. But yeah, but like... I do want to know what your thoughts are, who you'd recommend be a coach uh, going forward. Like, who are your candidates that you might want to tell us? Um, so, obviously, Gerard Gallant is, you know, a big one. I mean, you see every Devils fan. You even see it in the Devils mentions. Sometimes it's just, like, announce Gallant um, <laughs> before the season. Before the season was suspended, at least. Yeah, so, um, obviously, Gallant is going to be a huge uh, – he's going to be a top candidate, or he should be a top candidate. Um, Bruce Boudreaux is a little more controversial. You know, you always see people say, like, oh, well, he could never win in the playoffs, and – you know, I, his time I, in Anaheim and Minnesota. Yeah, but like and Washington. Well, he was there with Washington. They had all those runs. I mean, they just ran into Pittsburgh and yeah. So mm-hmm. like, it's not like, and especially in Washington, it's not like they ever lost. You know, to a team they should have beat. I mean, the Penguins were just really good at that time. And I mean, the only team that you would think I think Boudreaux was there for the only real team that they probably should have beaten was Montreal in 2010. But yeah. Halak just stood on his head. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Halak was ridiculous that season. And I forgot about that. And then there, he, what he made it to the conference finals with the ducks, if I'm not mistaken. So, and they lost to Chicago, yeah. right? Yeah. In like yeah. game seven too, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah, exactly. He's lost like so many game seven. Yeah. So it's not like he doesn't get the team to the playoffs and they don't go far. They just run into good teams. Right. And it's that's like what I said. 
That's what I see with Devils fans too. They're like, oh, well, Boudreaux doesn't win in the playoffs. I'm like, well, we're not exactly making the playoffs right now. It would be nice if we, you got to get to the playoffs first. And Boudreaux basically takes every team he has to the playoffs. So um, him and Gallant would be top candidates. And then um, it depends what happens with uh, Dan Bilesma in Detroit. Um, I would imagine that staff is going to get the axe at some point. And, uh, but so if Bilesma becomes available, he would um, – He'd definitely be one of my top candidates too. And then they'll obviously look at like AHL coaches because um, sometimes you can't get the big name to come over. So, but my top choices would definitely be Bosma, Boudreaux, and uh, Gallant. What about Ricard Grunberg from uh, the Zurich Lions? Uh, yeah, I know everyone loves uh, Grunberg and uh, I love him too because of just, first of all, that beard is amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that thing is that's, it's, that's un, it's awesome. Viking that's beard. It, that's, like how, yeah, that's awesome. How often do you see a, a how often do you see an NHL coach with a beard that awesome? It, it just just for that, you got to have him. Uh, you got to consider him. But like, I read an article back on Sportsnet um, a while back. It was towards like the beginning of the season, saying how like Gronberg installed like the system to fit you know the the roster of. of um, was it Zurich, right? He coaches. In yes, the, the, yeah, the yeah. Zurich Lions were. Yeah, so it's, um, the, it's the same club uh, Austin Matthews played for in his draft year. Yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, when I saw when when I saw Gronberg had said that, he was like, oh, "I'm playing, I'm playing a style of hockey that fits the makeup of my roster," and I'm pretty sure Zurich finished the Swiss League in first place, or they were one of the best teams in the Swiss League this year. So um, uh, the only thing is, I don't know what his NHL out is like. Uh, if he can get out for next season, uh, yeah, you got to consider him because I think it'd be it, it's just time for like sometimes you just shouldn't be rehashing like old ideas. Sometimes it's good to get a fresh set of ideas in, and I, Gronberg would be exactly that. Oh, it would be perfect for a fit for him. I mean, I I've heard nothing but good things for, about him, Same and I watched a lot of lot of his games, and it's perfect. Like like. You you have this you have this roster. Okay, now I'm gonna put a system in that fits the players that I have. It's like when the Devils, you know, were winning championships. Okay, well they were defense oriented. Yes, they could score, but their system was based on defense. And you know, Marty stopped everything. Well, now you know your defense isn't you know the greatest, but you have offensive weapons, and you know, Gronberg could figure out a way to mesh everything together. Yeah, I, I completely agree there. I think one of the things that um, you have to consider what I was reading between the athletic sports net and a few other places on, on Google was that Grunberg has meshed a hybrid system of uh, Swedish European hockey with the North American style game. And then he also uses analytics to back it up. And he's, and given the fact that Ray Shiro was kind of leveraged off by the analytics team by uh, what were their names? Matt Cain and uh, Tyler Dello. Tyler Dello. Thank you for the yep. other name. So these other guys that could be vying for him. So I wouldn't be surprised if these two uh, analytics guys vouched for him and then kind of shoved uh, Joshua Harris in the, in the idea of, saying this is our guy we need a fresh mind we need a someone that fits our system and our philosophy yeah i could definitely see that happening especially since it sounds like um you know josh harris and dave blitzer want an anal and the next gm to have a pretty big say in analytics too so yeah i could definitely see that you know start with the new gm 
and you kind of just have that like a trickle down effect where the GM's working with the analytics team, then you have the coach, the GM, and the analytics team working together. So yeah, I could definitely see that, especially if Groenberg is, says like I use these in my coaching decisions. It's crazy because you see all this like talk of like reading after everything came out about you know when you know when Heinz uh, when Heinz when um. Shiro was fired about, you know, him not getting along with the analytics team. And it felt, and, you know, there were some rumblings about how, oh, you know, it could have been the analytics team, you know, making this suggestion to Harrison Blitzer, hey, you know, he's really not following what we're saying. We're not really having a cooperative. You, you got any feeling on that? Um, so if you look at PK Subban's season last season, uh, in 2018-19, you'd be like, all right, there's maybe a little cause for concern here, but the, you know, it was only one season. So like, right. All right. Maybe he just had a bad season and he rebounds. Turns out that wasn't the case. So I could see, I could have seen Kane and Della being a little bit apprehensive about acquiring PK Subban, but at the same time, they really gave up nothing for him. So Right. Uh, I think Wayne Simmons, they definitely pushed back on, even though it was only a one-year deal, because there was clear signs that Sim- Simmons was in decline. You know, that wasn't just like a one-year thing. Um, another thing I don't think people talk about is I could see them having been like, what are you doing trading for Louis Domingue? Because like, even though he had a nice save percentage with the Lightning, his um, his underlying numbers were not not great with the lightning it's just kind of that team was so insane last season that maybe kind of picked them up a little bit um so i wouldn't say that they were like hey listen you need to fire cheryl but i'm sure they went to the owners and were like listen i don't know about these personnel decisions he's making we then we're looking at these numbers and we're like uh i think it's a little questionable to say the least so i could i could definitely yeah. have seen that happening i kind of question definitely a little bit like I understand like okay a goaltender has like 20 plus wins but Tampa Bay defensively was super stacked and their offense was uh just firepower but they got destroyed by Columbus in the first round uh yeah then then, of course Fitzgerald trades uh Domingue for Zane McIntyre uh who I think has done a pretty good job in Binghamton if I'm not mistaken yeah, he had uh, some insane uh, – he had, like, back-to-back shutouts in his first two games for Binghamton or something like that. So it was good that they actually got – they got a reliable backup for Jill Sen, who's doing pretty well down there too. Sen's an, another goaltender I actually wanted to ask about. Can you elaborate more on our six foot four Swiss goaltender? Um, yeah, so I haven't, I didn't watch Binghamton play all that much this season. Um, but from what I've seen, he's, he's obviously a a big dude, but he's, he's really athletic. And, um, I, I think the Devils kind of seem to like that in drafting goalies because Mackenzie Blackwood's a super big dude, six foot four or whatever. And he's really insanely athletic. And then Akira Schmidt is supposed to be pretty athletic. Um, even though he had a kind of a tough season in the USHL this year, uh, mostly because of injuries, but, um, yeah, Sen, I I don't know. He shouldn't be penciled in to be the backup for Blackwood next season. But um, if he does well in Binghamton, I could see him getting NHL games. Uh, he's already like 25 years old, and he was playing professionally in Switzerland before he came over here. So it's not like he's, you know, this was his first professional season. So, um, but in the NLA, uh, the Swiss League, sorry to cut you off, is yeah. like, it's like AHL. 
NHL caliber, somewhere in between, like if between those two levels, like you got retired or former NHLers and you got upcoming stars that could be coming over to the NHL. So it's a good blend to have. Yeah, it's definitely not tender. Yeah, it's definitely not a bad league. So, you know, him getting play- – although he was on a pretty bad team there. I think he was on Davos and I – Yes, yeah. AC Davos. Yeah, so – but, um, yeah, I mean, he kind of – with Schmidt having kind of a bad season, um, Sen kind of just uh, emerged as the Devils' best goaltending prospect uh, in, like, the second half of the season. He was really good uh, for the Binghamton because – uh, would they win like 26 out of 35 games before the everything was suspended? So, and he was a big part of that. He got his save percentage up to like 905, and I think at one point in the season it was down like at 885. So, he definitely made noticeable improvement as the season went on, and I think um, that should give the Devils kind of some hope with their goaltending situation, at least within their system. And uh, speaking of goaltending, we can I mean jump around right now, but. You know, Devils backup goaltending has been an, an issue, not this, not just this yeah. season, um, but um, some of the names that will be free agents this year: uh, Halak, Hudobin, Thomas Grice. Um, out of those guys, there's Rob probably a couple more on. Oh, Len, yeah, on there, Crawford, all those Cam guys. Talbot's a free agent too, who, I think. Yeah. Who would who would your be who would be your ideal backup goalie for the Devils? Uh, I mean, if I was talking about this with the uh, Tyler Kelly the other day on Twitter, and um, who, <laughs> Our yeah, good he, boy. yeah, yeah, yeah ex- I, that's right. I, I actually was in yes, on that conversation right. yes. too. Um, yeah. yeah, we were talking about this the other day. Um, definitely, Robin Leonard. If you can get him for the right term and uh, money, uh, I mean, if you have a you you don't that makes up. He's been so obviously what he did with the Islanders wasn't a fluke because he was doing it with Chicago yeah. this year and Chicago's defense was just miserable. So if you can get Leonard on like a three year deal or something like that, um, say for like six million a year, you got to do it because him and Blackwood, that's just makes it could cover up so many other flaws with the rest of the team that you could actually have a pretty competitive team going uh, at least for next season. Um, but if you can't get Leonard, I would really like Halak as like a short-term backup. He impressed me a lot. I know Halak was with the Bruins. I mean, he still is with the Bruins, but he's all he did well with Montreal, and it was, some of his primetime numbers were with Montreal, and he brought it over. I mean, he he wasn't bad in St. Louis. Either. Yeah, he's he's never really been like in, with the Islanders. Their defensive structure was kind of a mess, but he was still. All right, there. I mean, he's been good pretty much everywhere he's been, and I don't know if I don't think the Bruins are going to re-sign him. So, I mean, if he's there, he'd be like the ideal backup. Uh, Hudobin is actually kind of like I was looking at his numbers not too long ago, and they're pretty sick. But um, if you could get Hudobin too, that would be probably be sneaky, like underrated signing. Um, but they definitely have their options, and they have to address it this off season. Um, some of it will depend what they do with Schneider too. Should be yeah. bought out though. I as much as I like the guy, and I know he's you know Jack Hughes's uh, like host family parent. Yeah, I I don't see Schneider long term as the as a Devils goaltender. I see him more along the lines of you know maybe he might go to Seattle, maybe he might you know and end up retiring 
you know, after all this, because I mean, he's had so many ups and downs. It's kind of like, you know, your career is based off your, uh, your health and how many injuries can you really put up with that would hurt your performance and be able to like make enough money to support your playing career. Yeah, I I kind of I agree with you there. I think it's kind of time for the, uh, especially if there's a new GM. I think they might be like, a, you know, they want to kind of bring in their own guys. So um, I think it's time to buy them out. I mean, I love Schneider too. It's unfortunate they never put a team together when he was really like in his peak uh, playing years. Um, they just they is he's just you don't know if he's healthy all the time and he's just not. He hasn't been a reliable backup and. He, they need someone behind. They need a one B to Blackwood at this point, and I don't think it, it's Schneider. Um, it's just, yeah, I think it's time to pull the plug. They have to yeah. address it. I mean, you can't go, you can't go back, you can't go into next season whenever it starts with the same goaltending duo that you had this year. I mean, everybody said going into this season it was weak. I mean, it it shouldn't have been that weak if Schneider didn't doesn't get hurt or cramps or whatever yeah. in the first game, and you know you never know. But this is something that, again, goes back to Shiro that, you know, a fault, the mistake, whatever you want to call it, is something that he didn't address in the in this past offseason. And I know one of the things, you know, Joe talks about buying him out. I think one of the things that's being brought up with everything on hi- hiatus is potentially similar things we saw after the 0405 lockout with compliance buyouts for these for guys, especially if it's a smaller cap. Yeah, that's um, something they could look at, too. Um yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they do. I mean, I I agree. There's no way they can go into the next season unless they're like they they just they're like we're not going to be competitive next season, so we're just going to hang on to him. But I mean, the owners kind of made it sound like they want to be competitive as soon as possible, and I think which is I, I just I don't see that happening with Schneider because uh, he's just like his play is so up and down at this point. You don't know what you're going to get from him. Um, so, yeah, if they get someone like Halak and, you know, he could probably come in and play like 25, 30 games behind uh, Blackwood, that would be a pretty big improvement in my in, in my books. I think that's something else that the, the team needs to address, too, is their what's their actual philosophy? Um, just this, it's just my opinion. Um, I've kind of I've written it a couple of times too. Um, just the direction they need a single direction. It felt like there was too much, too much, you know, um, not a lot of unity going on. You have one message here, owner say something else. It's just something's getting lost there, and I think, I think ownership needs to set the tone with it, and everybody else needs to follow. Yeah, I agree there too. I think that's, um, you know, that's going to depend on who the next general manager is, if uh, whether it's Tom Fitzgerald or they look to an outside candidate like uh, Mike Gillis. Yeah. Right, they've interviewed him t- twice Mike before Gillis, the shutdown, maybe? and uh, I know Gillis is not interested in being a GM again. Um, but he would maybe be interested in having a title like president of uh, hockey operations. And uh, I've written about that a couple times for the hockey writers, and I, I think that would actually be perfect for the Devils because then what Gillis could do is like, listen, this is how we're going to run things, and he's big into like sports science and analytics too, so. You know, he could make the analytics department, you know, work with the front office in a, like a coherent manner, unlike what it was apparently with Shero. So um, I would be a big fan of bringing in Gillis uh, in that capacity. And then you kind of just let him build the front office the way he wants to. I think that would be really good 
for the Devils, and it would give them that direction and philosophy that you you mentioned that they really need. Yeah, I would be a fan with Gillis. I personally think they do need a look at all the good teams, you know, around the league. They have a president of hockey operations, GM, assistant GM, so on and so forth. And the Devils need that structure. Obviously, Lou was there for years. He had both titles. He was given the keys to the car in 87, 86, 87, and they were rolling. But you have to have that. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I think Gillis is like the perfect fit for that. And then he could bring in uh, his boy, Lawrence Gilman, who's the assistant general manager of uh, the Maple Leafs right now. And he get a bit of a Vancouver reunion in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and one other thing, like, oh, yeah, go ahead, Joe. Checking at uh, some of the seasons that um, Mike Gillis has done in, like, in his first, like, three seasons. Or to dailyhive.com. This is – and it was in season – uh, his first offseason was Kyle Wellwood, Darcy Hortichuk, uh, Ryan Johnson, Curtis Sanford, uh, Pavel Dimitra, who long time ago passed away after his success with uh, Team Slovakia when he died with uh, the plane on uh, Yaroslavl oh, yeah, uh, locomotive. Yeah, right. Right. yeah, locomotive, yeah. And he had uh, Matt Sandin, who only played half a season with Vancouver, making – Eight point six million in the process, and then he traded. That was a that was a weird trade. That was such yeah, a that was weird a weird trade. one. And get this, get this. Uh, at that time, uh, soon to be Devil uh, Gillis traded for Steve Bernier, sent third rounder and second rounder to Buffalo, and then he got Lawrence Nichelot sent to uh, Ottawa, and then Shane o- and Shane O'Brien. Uh, so that was in that um, trade. Um, for for that time, yeah, Gillis did a lot of really good things in Vancouver. He got Christian Ehrhoff for like basically a bag of pucks. He signed Dan Hamuse to this. Jonathan Willis wrote a really good article about it in the Athletic like last year, I think last March, basically arguing that Gillis and Lawrence Gilman deserve another chance to run a front office. Um, like he walked obviously he walked into a good situation when you know anytime you inherit Roberto Luongo and the Sedins, you're you're gonna be all right. But, I mean, he put in the pieces there. I think Mikhail Samuelson was another guy he brought in. Um, he brought in the pieces there to make yeah. him a Stanley Cup uh, contender. And there was a reason why he was the GM of the year in 2011, I think, or something like that around there. So, um, And he drafted Schneider. Yeah, he did. Uh, although his draft record in Vancouver was pretty terrible. I was looking at it uh, when I was doing a piece about him. That's, the only cons- that's one of the big concerns I would have bringing in Gillis. But if he's president of Hockey Hops, as long as he doesn't bring in his amateur scouts he had in Vancouver, I Draft, think the Devils um, would be fine. Jordan Schrader in the first round, 22nd overall. And then he, yeah, uh, he did sign Tanner Glass, who then later on play on the GST line for the Winnipeg Jets when they came back to Winnipeg. And I think his biggest draft success there was drafting Bo, Bo Horvat, which was the last draft class he had uh, as Vancouver's GM before they fired him in 2014. And everyone knows why he got fired. Like, obviously, the Luongo thing wasn't great. Uh, yeah. But like, he was also, like, forced – uh, he was forced drawn Tortorella as coach from ownership. And I don't ever see how Gillis would – you know, that's just – it seems like a weird combination. So that was part of the reason why – he, yeah, exactly. Out there. So, um, 
I know that I think it was Larry Brooks who said uh, a couple of weeks ago that the Devils have already interviewed him twice. So there's definitely mutual interest, I think, on the, and if they're looking to bring him in as president of a hockey ops, I don't, don't see any reason why you, you wouldn't do it now. Yeah, I mean, it'd be the yeah. perfect time to do it. I think. Please. I just want to let the, uh, the stuff saved. That's good. I don't see Alex in here though. I just I just send him uh, the link. Okay. So so yeah. Almost like I'm just sending him directions. So anyways, uh, All right. I have that. All right, Alex is back. Yeah, there we go. All right, Alex is here. Sorry all about right. that. Yeah, it's all right. Connection power yeah. Somewhere. yeah, we're good. All right. Hopefully, not too many people are on their Wi-Fi's too much. Um. Anyways, I try to hit on that fourth season. Um, where Gillis was coming off that disappointing, uh, Stanley Cup run. Um, draft day 2011. Nicholas Jensen was uh was picked in the 29th overall in the first round. Um. It said the team from 2011, with the exception of Christian Ehrhoff, was ex- was kept uh, to Chris Higgins, Maxime Lapierre, who really is a was a key player in that uh, that playoff run. Yeah, and Andrew Alberts and Sami Salo, Kevin Bieksa. Yeah, Manny Malhotra was a big uh, contributor to. Alex Burrows was there. Yeah. So. Yeah, all, yeah the, overall, I the mean... The key's so close. Yeah. It was a game seven against the Bruins. I mean, they were right yeah, there. Yeah, where there was I a mean, riot. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's right. The one thing I will say about that playoff run, because I, I, wa- you know, I was watching every game because I was hoping Vancouver was going to win just to see Canada get the cup. I, I think they made, you know, with the poor play that Luongo did have in Boston, I understand he's your number one, but something when Schneider played in Boston in those games he came in, he looked really good. I was just shocked they didn't go to him in game six. Yeah, I mean, I that was so long ago now. Was it like 10 years ago? I don't even remember it that well. But um, 2011, that's that's nine years ago. Yeah, so it's that's kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, I remember Schneider, even uh, he overtook. That was kind of like when things were getting a little rough with Luongo when he overtook him in the playoffs as the starter and – that was kind of like when everything just went downhill for the Canucks with Gillis. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was a sour ending, but I I really like him as a fit because um, he's obviously really big into analytics and sports science, and the, the Devils' ownership really seems to want that in their next kind of GM or maybe even president of Hockey Ops. So, um, um, I mean, I, I think the only reason they're not – hiring him now is because they want to interview people from other organizations that they can't right now because you can't just you can't do the in-person in interviewing right now which is so big when you're making a hiring like that yeah it's it's interesting it'll be interesting to see what they do um you know to staying with the position uh tom fitzgerald trade deadline comes around he's there he's called, he's asked to make these trades and he delivers joe and i you know, gave him a grade of B plus A minus. Thoughts on what he did at the trade deadline? Uh, yeah, I'm right with you uh, on the grade there. I think I gave him an A minus um, around there. Um, obviously, the the big thing was getting Nolan Foot for Blake Coleman, and obviously the first round pick, which hopefully they end up keeping, which belongs to the Canucks right now. 
Um, so yeah, that was obviously when no one wanted to see Coleman traded, but when you get a package like a first round pick and a top prospect like Nolan Foot, you can't say no. Um, and then obviously he did really well for the Andy Green trade too. He's getting a second round pick, even though it's next year, but still second round pick for Green, and then they um an okay prospect and uh, David Quenville. Um, you got no complaints there. Uh, Wayne Simmons obviously is not going to be a part of the team moving forward. So you just kind of have to get something in return for him. And he was able to do that. And then he even managed to get uh, a little something in return for Louis Domingue. So I think he really strengthened his case. Uh, to what be- about this Sammy what about Right, Sammy. Uh, right. How could I forget that? Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're not going to get the, they're probably not going to get that draft pick they got from him, but Quokinen is a legit prospect. And I could definitely see him uh, competing for an NHL spot next season. He's already got three AHL seasons under his belt, and uh, he looked really good for Binghamton when he uh, was brought in after the trade. So, um, yeah, he did really, that was probably uh, between Foot and Quokinen, uh, he was able to strengthen their prospect pool and, uh, so I think he really strengthened his uh, case to be the, the at least get the job permanently. He's definitely going to be on ownership's shortlist. I I do think. Meanwhile, we have these guys in the pipes, if not on the mainstay at the NHL level. Um, going forward, um, what what would you give Kyle Paul a contract? Ooh, um. So he's. I would definitely look to sign him long term because um, uh, he's like he's the exact type of player the Devils need. He's shooting talent is so hard to replace. So if you lose him, it's not easy getting a player like him back in the fall. I mean, kind of hope maybe Nolan Foot could be that, but it's no guarantee. I would probably try to give him something around like uh, anywhere in between five to seven years and between six to seven million dollars a year. I think that would. Uh, probably be what I'd be looking to give him anything over $7 million a year, I think would be too much, but uh, otherwise, yeah, I mean, he's got to be part of the team going forward. Um, do you see it as a priority this off season since he has, you know, one year left on his deal after this year, would it make sense to try to extend him whenever, you know, they're allowed to start doing transactions? Yeah, for sure. Um, assuming let's say they things go they just end up canceling the season and the off season kind of be the regular thing. If you can get them signed like that first part of July, when it usually starts, I would try to get it done as soon as possible, but it also depends a little bit on the next GM. I think if Fitzgerald is the next GM, there's definitely a better chance, but if you bring someone from the outside, you never know. So um, it'll depend a little bit on that too, but if they can get it done this summer, I definitely would try to get it done this summer. Yeah. That's my feeling. That's my feeling too. I think they. I think they need to keep him. I think they need to make it a priority to keep him. He's a Jersey boy. He loves playing here. He just fits this team perfectly. And I, obviously, you know, he's playing top line here. You know, any place else, he's probably not. Um, but you know, he's just everything about him is that he's like they, You know, you compare. You know, this so and so is a typical Bruin. This guy fits this system. Kyle Palmieri is New Jersey Devil. Yeah, and it's like Tom Fitzgerald was saying at the trade deadline too when um, someone – I forget who it was. Someone asked him like uh, about trading I Paul think Merrick. it was Nick Alberga. Uh, yeah, someone like that. I, yeah, I Alberga. No, Alberga is the one that said it. I remember the interview. Yeah, he was asking about trading Paul Murray and Fitz was basically – I think Fitz basically said like, it, you know, you don't really trade like a 30-goal score for nothing. So 
Um, and Palmieri would have definitely hit 30 goals if the season, you know, continued. So, yeah. A lot of things could have happened. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's very true. There was a lot of momentum going forward once they, they got on uh, the good side with uh, Nazardine's system. I mean, we're talking about, like, all these nuts and bolts on each line combination. Now, we're talking combinations. G- going at let's put the draft a little bit to the side. Now, just let's think if tomorrow begins the – Next few months till the season starts up, who who's your line combination for the first two lines? Then you go third and fourth line. All right. So for the first line, I would probably do something like I would probably go with Jesper Bratt, Nico Heischer, and Nikita Gusev. Then the second line would be trying to find a left winger to play with Jack Hughes and Kyle Palmieri. It would be kind of tough. Um, I think that's where they might need to bring someone in from outside the organization, but maybe if Nolan Foote really shows that he can play in uh, the NHL right away, it would be kind of interesting, interesting to see two really good shots playing on the wings of Jack Hughes, who's like a pass-first kind of center. Um, I think that I, that's what I would like. But I don't know if it happens. I ideally, reality is they probably try to bring somebody in. Yeah, I would imagine they try to trade, or you never know if, if they might get someone in the draft who could play right away. That's also uh, a possibility, but that remains to be seen. Like sometimes, so then, like you know, these bottom, past, bottom like these last couple of seasons, we've been seeing some early picks that jump straight into the draft and. Some of them stick right away, and some of them click. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Alexis Lafreniere is going to – he'll definitely be able to stick right away. And if the Devils get lucky again and somehow get the first pick, then there's your other left winger who could play in the top six. So um, and then there will be a couple other players too. But, um, yeah, I don't know if – I mean, maybe Jesper Boquist could be able to play with uh, on the top six next season too, um, but not sure about that yet either. I, I will say this about Boquist, though. When he did have the opportunity to play in that role, he did look good. Yeah, I mean, there was it just a bunch of the Devils. I'd never thought they'd put Boquist in, like, in a good position to succeed. And you could say that about Jack Hughes a lot, too. I mean, his most common linemates were, like, Pavel Zaka and Wayne Simmons. And, I mean, no disrespect to them, but, like, those are not, like, the kind of players that Hughes needs on his wing. So, and... Bocus was playing a lot of the time with Kevin Rooney and John Hayden too. I don't like Rooney's a fine fourth liner, but you know, he's not, Bocus is not in the position where he could be like kind of carrying those guys at points. So he was never really put in positions to succeed. I mean that you can say that going back a ways. I mean, you can even like, you know, we can reminisce and look at all this about, you know, Adam Larson when he was first drafted, but I agree like a hundred percent, like Boquist and Hughes were not put in positions to succeed. I understand Travis Ajax, He's been your mainstay, and he's there. But you drafted Jack Hughes number one for a reason. He should have been playing in your top six from opening night. Yeah, and when Hughes played with Hall and Palmieri in the early part of the seasons, when he looked his best, I mean, um, his underlying numbers with the, those two guys were easily the best of any line combination he played with this season. So, like, obviously he's capable of it. Um, they were just kind of asking 
he used to carry a line and he wasn't capable of doing that. Like he can't do that with Simmons and Zaka. He needs guys like Hall and Palmieri. A little bit more fleet of foot, guys that can play a good. Yeah, he just needs some scores around him. Yeah, I mean, you could even see, you could even say, I mean, you know, Nico's finally, you know, come into his own this season, three years, but, you know, put his man weight on. And same thing will happen with Jack. I mean, yeah. Nico's, you know, if it's not Paul Mary, Nico is the, the, I would think, the next captain of the team, but it's between him and Paul Mary. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be one of those two guys for sure. I do think I, that going forward that there's going to be a lot of speculating once the new GM is assigned that it kind of tells a story on who the Devils could acquire and see what pieces they can move. And with that extra collateral from the recent trades from Tampa Bay, Vancouver, and the Islanders, it is good ammunition to use. Yeah, for sure. Um it's going to be interesting to see what they if they end up with three first round picks. I'm um, kind of I at first was thinking, all right, you got to use at least maybe the Vancouver pick to get some NHL talent. But this draft class is so good in the first round that I've kind of moved shifted to them just using all three picks in the draft. They could definitely use that Islanders pick, the 2021 in an uh, NHL trade, but I think I would lean more towards just using the three first round picks in this draft class. Yeah, from what I've been keeping an eye on is that there's so many great players that could be top 10. Top. They're hitting like top 15 and whatnot. It's it's being pushed back too, which is a good thing because the Devils that are having that pick at 17, you could strike at a really good player at that time where you could get a Caden Goulet or you could get um, – what, what else is his name? Oh, um Schneider, Braden Schneider. Yeah, Braden Schneider, yeah. yeah. I actually watched him, watched them guys during the prospects game, and I was actually sold on a little bit of both of them. I saw a little bit of your write-ups. So I, I have to agree with both. Yeah, I like uh, Gooley a lot. He he just he skates really well for a – I guess we just might as well get into draft stuff here. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I like Gooley a lot at uh, that 17 pick if the Devils still have it. He's more of a safe pick, but um, he skates really well for someone his size. He's like 6'3", 187 pounds or something like that. And uh, he'd probably be their second best defense prospect after Ty Smith if they took him. So um, they could definitely take he, – he would. I think that would be the best place for them to get a defenseman in this draft would be around that 17th pick. Yeah, I mean, and then, you know, one of the big – you know, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, everybody calls it, you know, the shorts Olympics with the combine, but you know, that's where you can scout some of those, you know, late round picks, you know, second, third rounders. And it's a shame that, you know, with everything going on, that there's going to be no scouting combine this year. Yeah. I'm sure that's going to impact uh, some teams who are, you know, doing their draft homework. Um, that's always like just kind of a fun time too. Cause you just see the teams are like interviewing players and you see it on social media and stuff and you kind of, get to know the prospects a little better. So, yeah, it kind of sucks that, you know, it does. it's not happening. It kind of sucks it, it's not happening this year, but, you know, it is what it is. I actually... um, Speaking of the the draft, another thing that Devil's Twitter was exploding about was the young goaltender from Russia. Oh, yeah. Askarov. Oh, Yaroslav Askarov. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, a, hot, uh, it was yeah, a bit of a hot topic on Twitter yesterday, that's for sure. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, so the thing with Askarov is that, like, he's ridiculous prospect. Like, there's no doubt he's a top 10 talent. Um, but I just – and I think, Jim, were you in on this conversation with me and Tyler Kelly too? I think so, yeah. yeah. We were, I wasn't, just, but I have a good read on Askarov. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't use a top 10 pick on a goalie at this – just – I know the Devils really need a goalie, but like they're the thing with them is they need more of they need more immediate goaltending help. And Eskarov is probably not going to be playing in the NHL for at least a couple of years, probably more. So you're kind of you're buying uh, when you're drafting him, you, you're thinking, all right, he's going to contribute for us maybe like three, four, five years down the road. Like Sororkin is going with the Islanders right now, and uh, Shesterkin, you know, with the Rangers, they didn't come over for a while. So, um, I don't think Vasilevsky came over right away either. No, uh, he, yeah, I don't think he, he did either. Time. Yeah, and Samsonov didn't come over. Uh, he took a while to come over too, I think, right, from for the Capitals? Yeah. So that's why I wouldn't use the top 10 pick on him because uh, I think the Devils could get more – they could get talent that's closer to being able to – play in the NHL with the top 10 pick, like Jack Quinn or Alex Holtz or something like that, or Lucas Raymond. Dude, Alex Holtz, a beast. Yeah, his shots, I, his I shot's insane. Him as well in my notes. So if anyone wants me to do that, I can I can fire away on some of those things. Um, Alex Holtz was ridiculous. Him and Lucas Raymond at the World Juniors this year, that was unbelievable to watch this week. Yeah, Holtz is in his shots nuts. I mean, if the Devils get him, he he even has a better shot than Nolan Foot, I think. And uh, I mean, if the Devils got him, I think he may be a dark horse to play in the NHL next season. But he's at least one year away. And I mean, if he can, you imagine if the Devils got you know have Holtz, they have Jack Hughes or Nico setting up Holtz for like the next five plus years. Uh, I think they would be they definitely live with that. I mean. His shot is just I think a lot of, ridiculous. I think a lot of people would live with that. Yeah, that's true, for sure. Um, I, I think a lot of Devils fans would be happy with that. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, Escaroff, I mean, look, I like him. I think he's a good prospect. You know, I think he was it, – it is a 19-year-old tournament. Everybody knows it. Yeah. Um, so, oh, yeah, I wouldn't, it wasn't I wouldn't surprising put... that, he got, that he struggled. Yeah, I wouldn't put that World Junior. I know he was terrible at the World Junior, but I mean, as a 17-year-old goalie, you know, that's not an easy thing to do. And if you look at Eskarov's um, numbers in the VHL, he's playing in the a pro league as a 17-year-old, and he had like a 9.20 save percentage, which is that's not really see that from an old goaltending prospect who hasn't even been. So, I, like, if he's there at the 17th pick, that. Like if he's there, I have some details I wrote about Askarov. I'm well. When I wrote this, it was in the middle of uh, December, and it was from his MHL uh, season. And given that fact, he's six foot two, hundred sixty pounds. One of the things that stands out to me is he's very poised. He plays the puck. Not only does he play the puck, he will come out of his net and he will poke check like a headbird. It, and he and he's very involved in every single yeah, play. Yeah, I mean his his yeah his ath- athleticism is crazy too. I remember watching the U uh, eighteen tournament last year. I, th- I think it was. Um, I'm pretty sure he played in that one. Like Jack Hughes and that team, ridiculous team USA were in it. And you can see why 
you know, people were like, yeah, this uh, this guy's going to be a ridiculous prospect. Um, he even got a, in a game in the KHL. I'm looking at his stats on a lead prospect this year, and he got in a game for St. Petersburg, and he had like a 920 save percentage in it. So, like, he's no doubt the best goaltending prospect to come along since probably, I guess, Shesterkin in 2014. So, and everyone knows the Devils need goaltending, but, like, I just – I can't – it'd be – I'd have to be talked into using a top-10 pick on him. I think what's going to happen is most teams usually don't feel the need to jump on a kid right away because he's a, a Russian, you know, goaltender. And usually – plus, he's a goaltender. He takes a little bit longer. So it's not going to be like, you know, bring him over, this and that. But I do know that yeah. the Devils and their regional scouts over the years have been so good at getting KHL and Russian type players, also in, in North America that play here, to become drafted that are interested in the Devils organization. I can see them um, using that 17th overall pick and maybe moving a little bit further up to get them. So, if that's the case, you know, we could still get them. Yeah, and uh, I don't think anyone would be opposed to taking him at the 17th pick. I mean, I haven't really seen anyone that said that, at least. So, um, it's just like the the debate is he's definitely a top 10 talent. And, like, if you don't think he's going to be there at the 17th pick, should are you going to be like, well... You know, we can't really pass on him here. We think someone's going to take him in between the 10th and the 17th pick. I guess we kind of have to take him here. But, like, I would I would prefer to get someone like Jack Quinn, you know, with the 10th pick if you could. Yeah. I mean, they were saying Eskarov was going to be the highest drafted prospect since Carey Price. I mean. Yeah, but Carey you know, Price, Price was, like, the fifth overall pick too, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, but, but Price was also playing, you know, North America yeah. too. So, it's a big difference. Yeah, I don't know. I can't. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Eskarov won top ten, but I'd be kind of surprised if the Devils use the top ten pick, especially if they end up, you know, um, maybe if that top ten pick ends up like sliding back a little bit because of whatever happens in the draft lottery, and it say that like ends up twelfth or something, then there might be at that point where like, all right, Jack Quinn's kind of off the table, and you know, maybe Jake Sanderson's off the table too, so. We're going to take Askar off with the 12th pick. and I guess I could see it there, but I don't know. It's good. It it's definitely good. Devils fans are going to be debating this, you know, until the draft happens, I'm sure, because Askarov is really is just the most legit goaltending prospect I've seen in such a long time. But you made a good point yesterday on Twitter. You said Devils need to draft to need. And that's a word you hear a lot in NFL draft. Yeah. Especially when it comes up, it's like, all right, teams got to draft to their need. Not, all right, the best available players there, but is it what they need? Yeah, so I, I'm like, the article I wrote was just just kind of just going over like what if they what if they took that approach, that need thing. But I don't like, I don't know if that was the, that's not the approach I would take. I would still go best player available over them. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, the, the thing with this draft is, is like, it's a really strong class on the wing and the devil's kind of weak in that uh that department and their prospect pool so like if they end up with their let's say they stay at six and tenth and they end, end up taking i don't know alex holtz or lucas raymond with the sixth pick and then jack quinn or dawson mercer with the tenth pick and you're taking two um legit prospects at that spot but like you're also not like you're not hurting yourself you're 
even though you're drafting by need, like Holtz and, you know, Quinn would be legit prospects for them. So um, I it wouldn't be, I mean, we know teams go draft on need all the time, um, but um, yeah, if you got best player, you, they should still go best player available. Like if Marco Rossi is available to them at the sixth pick. You got to take Rossi. Yeah. He, yeah. he reminds yeah. me of an Austrian version of Nico Heischer, a little bit more updated, a little bit faster, a little bit at times, but he like he will go behind the net without, you know, feeling the pressure from like the opposing defenseman. And I actually, you know what, this brings me to a good point. I want to touch on the forwards that we've talked about um, in the draft. Lucas Raymond, I want to touch on first. Um, yeah. I wrote solid setup man from behind the net, and he's a great passer to uh, team shooters. He's very cerebral as a forward. He crashes the net and uh, crisp, high energy guy. Uh, especially on gold drives, you know, on net. And then he's solid and elite with his wrist shot and sometimes his slap shot. And he's an absolute clutch and maybe this year's Cole Caulfield. Um, yeah, Cole, Cole Caulfield is, um, I mean, like, Cole like Caulfield, uh, yeah, I think Cole Caulfield would be a closer to Holtz in terms of shooting. I mean, I think Holtz has the best shot in this class. Um, Raymond's a little bit. I agree with you. What you're saying about Raymond and his like his playmaking ability. Like he's probably one of the most creative players in uh, in this draft class. And um, even though he like only had ten points um, in like 33 games for uh, for Lunda, I mean they were one of the best teams in the SHL. So there just really wasn't the ice time for him. But when he was playing in the Swedish Junior League, he was pretty much. You could tell he was a step above the competition. Um, and he's just um, he's a he's a beast on the forecheck. Like he's always creating havoc, like chasing down, uh, you know, if, if defenseman's got a puck, behind, got the puck behind the net, he's in there kind of trying to break up the rush and stuff. And um, he's a surprisingly really good defensive uh, for his age, a 17 year old. He's a really good defender too. Like he's just a complete all around player. Um, so like if he's there at six overall, I mean, that's a, that's a case where you'd be getting best player available, but you'd also be kind of taking care of the need thing. Well, and it reminds me the way you described everything. It reminds me of what they had with Blake Coleman right now before they traded him. And I made the comparison um, on I put it out there because I was watching it, uh, watching the game one night, and the way he was, you know, he was playing well shorthandedly, but he's breaking up everything. I'm like, oh, this reminds me a lot of John Madden. <laughs> <laughs> We love we love players like that. Yeah, and I think then you know I, Raymond would definitely be like he just the only thing with him is he needs to get bigger. He's he's only one hundred six again. Yeah. Yeah, he's no, five foot ten, one hundred yeah, pounds. Yeah, he's uh, he needs to put on weight. So you're not gonna be seeing him playing. He definitely won't be playing in the NHL next season. But you know, spend the season in Sweden, put on some weight, and maybe he's over in uh, in 2020, uh, 21, 22. So, stick, um, but. Stick. Sticking with Sweden, um, his teammate Alexander Holtz is six feet tall, 183 pounds. As a right wing shot, he's really aware on offense. Uh, dwells yeah. very well from the point and the slot. Great shot from the blue line and the crease. Uh, drives the net with speed and bravery. Does that sound like a like a future devil? 
Uh, yeah, it definitely does, especially um, the driving towards the net with the kind of a bravery kind of thing. You know, you, you think of like the older Devils teams with like guys like Madden and Pandolfo who would just kind of like create havoc or Bobby Holik, of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, Holtz would, um, I think if we're going on like a need kind of basis, I think Holtz fits a little bit more than Raymond does because of his shot. I mean, his shot, I was watching, uh, I don't know if you guys uh, know that, that guy on um, Twitter, Yannick St. Pierre, he drafted out. He's, yeah. yeah. I watch his draft videos all the time. They're great. And uh, I was watching his on Holtz and like his sh Holtz's shot is just, he'll pick his spot from anywhere on the ice and he'll hit a target. And um, I mean, I don't think the devils have had a shot like that since Kovalchuk wasn't around. So, um, and he got, no. the thing is he got bigger this season too. He was not like 185 pounds. He's been putting in the work um bulking up so that's why he might be a little bit closer to nhl already than than we think um if he's there at six overall it's, it'd probably be for me it'd be between holtz and raymond i honestly wouldn't care either way they're such, both such good prospects both, both good both good players both you know obviously you know you know no, you're never gonna see again where like you know brian burke makes a deal to get you know both sedines because you know they don't play yeah you know. But I mean, I mean, in a, you know, hypothetical world, you know, if the Devils could pull off something where you get both of those guys, that's great. But it probably won't happen. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But Holtz, I I agree. I think Holtz over Raymond. I mean, you can't go wrong with either guy. But I think when when it comes to you know filling a need or you know even even if it's best player, I think Holtz there. I think that would be better for him. You know, bigger guy. Again, you know, you look at it. Last couple, you know, first round picks the Devils had. You know, especially the number ones. Nico a little smaller. Um, Jack Hughes definitely, you know, needs to put on his weight. So I don't know if you want to go down that road again. If you can get a guy that's NHL ready that can come in, I think that'd be perfect. Yeah, if we're talking about size and body mass index, it's definitely Alexander Holtz. Um, we haven't touched on Quinn Byfield yet. So I want to, right. like, if we get to the sweet spot of picking the first two, um, what I wrote about Byfield is, uh, he's six foot three, 214 pounds. He's a center, uh, big body, lots of speed playmaker, uh, excellent stick handler, two-way player, very smart, very good shot. He has a wicked slapper. He, I think, I think he's the North American version of Evgeny Malkin without the frustration. Yeah, I saw someone, uh, I forget too. I saw someone compare him to Evgeny Malkin. I think if the, I've I've seen some people like say, oh maybe if the Devils get the second pick, they should consider Tim Stutzley. But I think it would be pretty easy to take Quentin Byfield there. Um, I mean, if you're looking at their, if they take Byfield and you got Jack Hughes, Nico, and Byfield for the next however long going down the middle, that's kind of like the similar. It's not exactly what Pittsburgh had with Crosby, Malkin, and Stahl, but you know that's a pretty nice. Uh, Pretty yeah, close. it's pretty close. It's pretty yeah, close. so, um, yeah, I think Byfield would be the pretty easy pick uh, at number two. I mean, he's just he's he's so he's a really good skater for someone his size. You don't see that all the time. Sometimes it can be a little awkward, but uh, like they can have awkward, I guess, kind of form. But um, yeah, he's an elite playmaker. Um, you know, he's he's got a nice shot too. I mean, there's a reason why he's been like the number two prospect for the longest time. So. Um, yeah, it would be a pretty easy choice to take him. I think if the Devils get lucky and they end up number two. And I'm not sold on Anton Lundell talking about um, going back to your a European player, 165 at center. To me, I'm not sold on him because what I wrote down from what I saw in highlights, 
he's he's a strong two-way center. He's a slick passer. His hockey vision is part of his gifted hockey sense. He has amazing wrist and snapshot. His zone entries are very much a good part of his game, but everything else under him doesn't really jump out or make me want to take a number 10 pick on him or anywhere in that range. Um, he's, yeah, he's a little bit of, I, I agree with what you're saying there. Like, um, he's a great defensive player, but I'm kind of a little bit up in, it's a little bit up in the air, what he'll be in the NHL in terms of an offensive player. Like I don't see him having the offensive upside of someone like uh, Jack Quinn or Holtz or Raymond or, you know, any of those other guys, even Perfetti who could go in the top 10. So, um, yeah, I would be a little bit hesitant in taking him in the top 10, but I I think he's so good defensively, and he's already pretty. Um, he's pretty well built to play in the NHL. He's already like six one, one hundred ninety pounds. So I don't think there's much left, uh, much longer for him to come over and play in the league. So, but yeah, if I were the Devils, I'm not. If he's there at ten, it. I'd I skip. Think, I, I, you would skip. I think I would still take him there. I think he'd probably be best player available at that point. I mean, you never know what happens in the picks before, but. I think I would take him. It'd be kind of tough not to. I I think if Marco Rossi makes it down that low, you got to take him. I mean, oh yeah, no, that's a no brainer. Yeah, if Marco Rossi makes it down yeah. that low, I mean, you come away with the steal of the draft at that point. I mean, like I know he's five foot ten and one hundred sixty five pounds, but uh, I did write down that he is very shifty, marvelous speed, uh, stick handling is off the charts. Uh, quick snapshot. He's a true playmaker, mid and low danger zone player. It's just that's kind of what you got to expect out of these younger, more skilled centers these days. Yeah. And what I was actually most impressed about with Rossi is he's actually quite, he's only like 5'9 or whatever, but he's quite strong. And his faceoff percentage in like the OHL was like 59% or something insane like that. Um, which is really impressive for a guy who's still in his draft year. So if the Devils drafted Rossi, I think there would be a really, really good case that he's he'd be ready to play in the NHL next season and probably be a pretty solid contributor. Um, maybe in like he could, I could even see him being playing in a top six role or at least a middle six role. Yeah. I mean, they list him at five, eight and a quarter. Yeah, but he's like so... 180 pounds, I think. So somewhere yeah. around there. So that's, that's pretty good for yeah. his size. Um, I know one of the, you know, obviously, you know, Devils' defense is, you know, they seem to always draft defense um, yeah. a lot because it, you know, it's a need. Um, your thoughts on uh, Jamie Drysdale? Um, I think that's someone we're going to be seeing. If the Devils end up uh, in the top five, you know, around there, I think there's going to be um, a lot of people saying the Devils should take Jamie Drysdale because he's, I mean, it's pretty clear he's the best defenseman in this class, you know, not a strong class defensively to begin with. Um, I just think right now that um, the Devils' strength in their prospect system is actually defense between like Ty Smith and Riley Walsh and Kevin Ball and you know some of these other guys. Miss Yule. I think what they need more is some game-breaking forwards. They don't have that in this system. Like Joey Anderson and Jesper Boquist are nice prospects, but like those are not like you're not. Those guys are not like Alex Holtz and Lucas Raymond. Like the Devils really need someone like that. In a really good Rossi. 
Yeah, they they need yeah. guys like Holzer and Raymond or Rossi or Perfetti in their system. They just they don't have that right now, and they, they need guys like that to put around Nico and Hughes if they want to get past the point of you know just being in the bottom of the NHL standings every season. What I've yeah they, they what I've seen um, in Drysdale for a five foot ten hundred sixty three pound defenseman, he has really good vision on top of the blue line. Pretty good distributor. He has great awareness and up the ice skating and he has uh, quick and accurate uh, wrist shots from what I've seen. He just is a very fluid skater. I mean, we need a guy like that. I have to agree with you. Uh, Yeah, no, like there's, there's no doubt they need someone like that, especially on defense. But like, I think having Ty Smith um, kind of like offsets that a little bit from now, and especially since I, I haven't looked that much at the 2021 draft, but apparently that's the draft class to go after defensemen. So I think the Devils would be all right just skipping out on, or at least passing on Drysdale this time around and taking the forwards they need to get. And then next season they go heavy on taking defensemen and which is supposed to be a defense-heavy draft. I think even Jack Hughes's youngest brother is – Luke. Uh, yeah, right. He's a top. He's one of the top yeah. prospects on defense for next year. So, um, I think right now, just get your forwards, and then you can focus about building defensive prospects in the next year's class when it's supposed to be a really strong one. Yeah, I agree. I agree definitely. There. I mean, yeah. If the Devils are lucky enough to, I mean, you know, um, you know that you know Brian Burke never a fan of like teams drafting multiple times near the top. I mean, um, but that's him. Um, but you know, if the Devils are lucky enough to you know get that lottery or in the top five, I mean, you know, the the list of forwards up there, you rattle them off, you know, Byfield, Perfetti, you know, Rock, you know, all those guys. I mean, it, it's something that they need to address because they really don't have that that prospect. Yeah, I mean, imagine if they like end up getting obviously Lefou because he's an insane talent. But like, even if you get someone like Stutzley or. Um... What's uh, Holtz or Raymond, you know, Perfetti? I mean, that just you know, does so much for their system as far as forwards. And those are guys you could put around Hughes and Nico for like years to come and exactly what they need. It'd be the, I mean, the biggest, the, the biggest coup would be if the Montreal Canadiens somehow landed the number one pick and got Lafreniere. Oh, that'd be insane. Um, they would go, I mean, they'd be like the, drinking all, drinking yeah, they'd go absolutely nuts. Uh, it'd be unfortunate that that wouldn't happen in Montreal because isn't, isn't that where the draft was supposed yeah. to be this season, right? Yeah, I yeah. was actually going to the draft this year. Yeah, that would be unfortunate. They get the first pick, a chance to draft Lafreniere, but, you know, they wouldn't be able to. I mean, still, I think they'd be happy just getting Lafreniere anyways because, I mean, he's so insane. Um, that would be, yeah, that would be quite the story. Yeah, I, I, just, you have, I just have this feeling that something, it, it'd be like close because, you know, the year, I mean, not to say that the Devils were going to get Matthews, but I actually looked into the numbers and they were one lottery ball away from actually getting him, and it was Toronto that beat him out. So it's like high-profile prospect in a high-profile city for an original six team. You know, just it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, let's imagine Matthews and like all those guys going against Lafreniere and uh, I guess what Suzuki and because uh, he's he looks like he's going to be legit too. That'd be that. Yeah, that adds so much to the the Montreal Toronto rivalry. It would be so good for the sport. It it would be insane. Absolutely, I I would love it. Yeah, I would tune into every 
Leafs Habs game if that happened. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. I was just playing around on Tankathon and um the the Devils go to seventh overall, eleventh and seventeenth. So get this. Um the Devils would get Alexander Holtz. Uh the Devils get Askarov at eleventh. And then and then the Devils get Ro- Rodion Amira of the left wing. Oh, uh, yeah, I like him a lot. I, I actually have notes on him. So for anyone who wants a little insight, he has very quick hands, quick shot, high-energy skater, excellent sniper. He loves playing in the slot. And that and that's for a kid who's, yeah. who's coming out of uh, Ufa. Yeah, and he, he got a lot of time in the KHL this season, too. And apparently he's a really good two-way forward. He plays in all situations. Um, yeah, if the Devils ended up, what was it? You said it was Holtz, Eskarov, and Amarov. Those were the three picks. Yeah. That'd be a pretty good draft. I don't think anyone, I mean, I'd, uh, that's a pretty good yeah, draft. Yeah, I think I'd be, uh, I think I'd be all right with that. I think the player, the, the player that I don't feel like is getting enough, enough attention, and then it should be someone the Devils consider with the 17th pick if he's there is, uh, Seth Jarvis. I mean, I was watching his um, highlight video from uh, Yannick St. Pierre the other day, and I mean, I don't understand how he's not being considered for like top ten pick. He's probably one of the best skaters in this class, and his playmaking is just incredible. He's such a good stick handler too, um, and he had what like ninety eight points in like fifty eight games in the WHL. So that would be someone I'd be. Another, another yeah, guy, that'd be someone. To, not to cut you off, another. Yeah, that's right. Who I, my eyes really popped on. During the uh, the games from Ostrava on TV was Jan Mishak, and I started writing notes on him. Um, that he's six feet tall, 176 pound. He's a center mostly, but he's smart in the neutral zone. Very graceful skater, and is very deceptive on uh, the best goalie in Askarov in the 2020 draft. So. He also plays the perimeter pretty well when he's on defense. Yeah, he's actually one player I still haven't gotten around to yet. I'm still working my way towards the end of uh, the first round kind of guys. But, yeah, I've heard good things about Meshach, too. And uh, uh, I think that's someone that maybe the Devils could consider at the 17th pick. I mean, they're going to have a lot of options at that point. I think if Noel Gundler is there, um, you got to mm-hmm. consider him, too. Um, the defenseman from, I think maybe it'd be a little bit of a reach, but William Wallinder is like an offensive defenseman from Sweden. That Funny would thing maybe you consider at the 17th pick too. Funny thing you Wallinder. Yeah, Wallinder. I yeah. wrote notes on him. Uh, six foot four, 195 left-handed defenseman. Uh, yeah. He's a big shot from uh, low danger, great recognition using mid to high danger. Uh, zone recognition, uh, strong along the boards, uh, smooth skater, plays with a lot of energy. Yeah, apparently his um, the biggest um, like I guess the biggest strength of his game is his offensive ability. Apparently, he's a really good skater for someone his size too, and he's not afraid to like jump in the rush and get involved offensively. And I think the Devils, if they're gonna try to draft defense. This year, I think that's what they need more of than someone like Jake Sanderson or Caden Gooley, both guys who are more defensive defensemen. I think they they have a lot of that in their system with Ball and Miss Yule and you know a couple other guys. I think they need more guys who can move the puck, and I think Wallander would be a good, really good option for them. I mean, Craig uh, ranks in the eighteen, yeah. so I mean, I guess 
I guess it's not a reach if if they're if they have the same. That's true. Base. Yeah. Um. I mean, when you were talking about drivers, it reminded me on um because uh, a lot of you know I I do some like NFL draft because I watch a lot of college football. People always ask me my opinion about that kind of stuff. And it, the way you brought up Seth Jarvis was the same way I brought up Drew Locke, who is the quarterback right now. Yeah, I know who he is. Yeah. Denver and Missouri quarterback. I was so high on him going into the draft. And I was like, if the Giants could get this guy, this would be perfect. He's a perfect QB. You know, he's going to be one of those underrated talents. And sure enough, he goes to Denver and he had a good season last year. And I feel like, you know, what you're saying with Jarvis, you know, he could be one of those guys that, you know, he could be a steal. Yeah, I definitely see that with Jarvis. I mean, I actually wouldn't be surprised if some team were like, we're taking him, you know, fringe top 10. I think he's that good. Um, he's just, his skating is insane. Not insane, but he's a really, really good skater. And I think he's going to be a very high-end offensive player in the NHL for whatever team takes him. From what it seems like, and the way we both, we three been studying the draft, it seems the theme is it's very strong, mostly talent centers and wingers. Meanwhile, there are some pockets of pretty good physical and puck-moving defensemen, but it seems the next year we'll have uh, quality and quantity of that in in a wholesale manner. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's Luke Hughes, and then I I have – I'm not looking ahead until 2021. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's too. Away, too yeah, I, I, we gotta get too. through this draft first, and then if the Devils have a really bad start to next season again, then I'll start doing my twenty twenty one homework. <laughs> but um, plus plus the right, yeah, draft, I forgot about the another wrench draft, into too. it. So yeah, that's true. So um, so yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's just so much. I mean, that was one of the things. I mean, going back to like Schneider real quick. I mean, if if they didn't address it my theory has always been all right we'll just expose them for seattle yeah i would i would be uh i would be surprised if they didn't if that's the case if maybe that's what they want to do uh because one the this expansion draft would be next summer right yeah that yeah is so correct. i wouldn't be surprised if the devil's like all right we can hang on to him for one more season and we expose him to seattle um instead of taking the buyout and having you know the dead cap hit for two extra seasons i could see them maybe trying to do that too and then you know maybe they try to bring in someone who can maybe push him to be his backup um to be blackwood's backup that is uh this off season so um yeah i can uh, there's always a seattle option i forgot about that it's a good point yeah you're always trying to get the best deal done to but moving goaltenders aren't very easy because it's always booted. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, if they ended up buying him out, you know, he could probably end up getting a job as a backup somewhere on like a a cheap deal. But yeah, I think there's no way at this point anyone's going to trade for him unless like the Devils just took like 50% salary retention. So they're a bit of a tough spot. Um, and I can understand if they hang on to him for one more season and expose him to the Seattle draft, I would understand that um, that kind of train of thought as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it just it just feels like it might be headed down yeah. that way if they if they it all. But again, there's so many wrenches going to be thrown into this because we really don't know what the conditions are with the picks. 
some of them were playoffs. Yeah. It's so many unanswered questions with this, with this season in high Yeah, that's right the now. thing, too. It's like we don't – like, yeah, obviously the Devils right now have three picks, but, you know – if the NHL ends up canceling the season, you know, are the, the conditions on those picks still going to be met and what are they going to do with them? So like, yeah, you just don't know right now. The Devils could end up having maybe only one pick because of the conditions and, you know, the rest of the picks move to 2021 or whatever. I don't think it's going to be that harsh, but I think there will be a lot of the 31 GMs uh, going over each one of their conditions with the league and then, they will have someone try and sort it out one way or another because there could be consequences one way or another within the contracts. So, yeah, I'm. Yeah, we're gonna have a a few more fire rounds of uh, questions. Uh, All right. First. All right. Well, just a little heads up before questions wise, but I just saw this come across my. Instagram or Twitter or whatever. Um, Trump's going to consult with Adam Silver, Rob Manfred, Roger Goodell, Jerry Jones, Mark Cuban to guide the reopening of the U.S. Um, for sports and everything like that. So um, that I just thought was a little um, interesting uh, nugget because, you know, we were just talking about the NHL draft and all that kind of stuff and with hiatus and, went, you know, some brilliant minds right there. Um, for, you know, for, you know, Devils-wise – um, biggest need for them outside of goaltending this offseason? Um, I mean, I could probably think of a couple, but um, I think the biggest need would. I mean, if you want to, no, go I'm gonna go with one. Time. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> uh, I think the biggest need is getting another, uh, another defenseman. Um, it doesn't have to be anything major, but like, I think if you sign someone like uh, Brandon Dillon in free agency, that'd be a huge, huge upgrade for their defense. So I think that's their biggest need is getting another NHL defenseman. And my question will be, what are you planning on doing once uh, the NHL season does conclude? What what are your top five articles going to be? Uh, so if this is like the last, if the NHL seasons are over, I've already thought about it, and I'm probably I'll probably be doing some stuff on uh the NHL or the Devils GM uh, be kind of examining that and maybe some other uh, candidates they could go over besides Mike Gillis and Tom Fitzgerald. Um, I'll be doing some draft, more draft stuff, maybe like individual profiles uh, covering why the Devils should target a certain player in the draft. Uh, definitely be doing some free agency stuff, um, what players you know they should be targeting in free agency and uh, some stuff, uh, what they need to do in free agency. Um, and then what was that? How many things was that? That three, I think, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So, free agency, draft, uh, GM. Yeah, I'll probably like, also be doing like three. Um, some yep. stuff later on, on in the summer, like uh, once the free agency stuff settles down, like who's going to be on what line, what prospects have a what also what prospects from Binghamton have a good shot at making the NHL next uh, season, like. Bastion and stuff. Um, so yeah, that'd probably be most of the stuff I'll be doing over. But and you know, I need this. I need this conclusion here. I need some clarity on what's happening with the NHL season at this point. It's kind of tying me up a little bit. All 
I think I think everybody's waiting for that. Uh, I think yeah, same here. I'm I'm waiting for some th- you know the season just to end or whatever. We're gonna have playoffs. Great. Um, when are we gonna have playoffs? You know, there's some doubt. Some players have some doubt. Batman doesn't have you know. In your in your opinion, yeah, yes or no? Uh, I think or, the season's done. I don't see any chance of it, it is. Uh, happening. Yes or no on a season? I do think it's cooked. Yeah. And just the way everything's coming out, I mean, the quarantine period gets pushed back again to April 30th, you know, but then again, you never know. I mean, if if they did come back, would it be straight playoffs? Or are you going to play? I mean, obviously, you know, guys say, oh, we need to have regular season games or a couple games or something. Do you, if they were to come back, do you think? You know, yeah, I think that'd be the most likely scenario. Like, I there's no just, way they and then just start to play. If they come back, it's probably gonna be pretty late. And I would imagine sometime in like June would be the time they'd come back. So, yeah, maybe you just play like a few regular season games, and then you get straight into the playoffs. And then I don't know. You could even maybe see like a shortened playoff format. I don't know how they'd be able to get in like entire seven game series in. So, could be changes to that too. Yeah, that would make sense. I don't think you could five, do every round best, best of seven. Then just then seven. you'd basically have like a month. It'd be it'd be it'll know. be too lengthy because you have two days off in a row, and it yeah, is, it does extend it to a month. Yeah. Well, I think they would change their schedule too. I think they would have to go back to changing their schedule with the days off in between too. You would be. It wouldn't be like two days off. In I mean, I think now, there's also like if they end up the coming back and doing the playoffs, day. it could be a That's thing where it. they're just doing it on like a couple neutral sites. That way, like travel is kind of mitigated and you don't have to worry about that as much. So maybe that's a possibility. That's yeah, I saw that too. I was like, that's kind of random. Yeah, North Dakota. Yeah, I heard North New Hampshire Dakota, was another. Um, they were looking at Manchester. New Hampshire was another spot they were uh, talking about too. So um, that's always a possibility that you're just kind of playing on neutral sites you're not going to be able to host games in like the New York area or, you know, California or whatever. It's good. It's. Oh yeah. Even next season, I wouldn't be surprised no, if it started not. without it's fans at least. While. I mean, they were saying if they were getting it in, they would say, Oh, you know, November yeah. it would be, you know, I mean, they can do yeah, it. It, it, would it would just be a totally different season than what we're accustomed to, which, I don't really think the week really is the most exciting, but it is starting to get a little bit better, but it should be if they're going to do like, you know, with the NWHL mixing. But anyways, I get a little off topic. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Like, you know, it's it's just so nuts that, you know, you see, like, the, the Women's Professional League just, like, keep signing players. They're moving along. Um, all the stuff, you know, all these things are going to get rescheduled. It'll be interesting because I know Seattle's pushing to have the draft and the expansion draft next year, which would be, you know, that'd be kind of cool. I do want to go to Montreal. I kind of want <laughs> I kind of want Montreal so I can have my plans back. Yeah, I w- that would definitely be a, a pretty sweet trip seeing the draft in Montreal. Yeah, that would be awesome. I mean, I, I'm hoping that, you know, because I was planning on uh, – I was actually going to beat the World Championships this year in May too. So, it would, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of my, – my, my entire spring calendar just got thrown yeah. out the window. But it's all right. You know, it is what it is at this point. We're, 
it's all for naught at, 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 at all of this. Uh, we pretty much ran out of poutine on this one. I think we wrap it up like a burrito yeah. and eat it all. Yeah, I think um, I think we could call. I think we can wrap <laughs> it tonight. I like to say thank you so much, Alex, for coming on and so. And, and no, yeah, thanks for having you're me. You're welcome. On. We we've always talked having you on. And yeah, thank I you. Mean, we needed to change the uh, the energy level. On with the. <laughs> yeah, that was a wild episode. I was listening to it last night. He's such a character in a yeah. good way. Yeah, like, yeah, he's 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 awesome. Yeah, he's awesome. Oh my god, never no, have I had no fest, Never have I had so much fun, and it's not even a party. Oh yeah, no, I I know what you're saying. I could tell just by listening to the guy. Like you, you, you just no, want to you want to listen awesome. to him for hours. It, it was a lot of fun listening to that. <laughs> I mean, we just let him roll. I mean, that that was that's we what said, we did. I well, just let him roll. My, yeah. just, he's like, I love he how he was like, the night before like, was yeah, Jim no with our last guest. If he's rolling, let him roll. That with Cam go, <laughs> yeah, like let him roll. And we love you, Cam. You're you're officially our <laughs> yeah, best friend of the call. podcast. <laughs> Even Alex agrees. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, I could I could totally see why. I mean, he's just he's a riot. Some of the stories he was telling too about like how he was going in in the 2012 Stanley Cup run. He was like the last guy to talk about uh, to the team before they went on the ice. I just I thought that was great. <laughs> I, I mean, I love to. Oh yeah, yeah, that was a good one too. Yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> Another one of my favorites was like he's talking about how Zhishtof Oliva, then you have Stevens and Danico all with their shirts off. And he's like, like I'm the the lowest to- man on the total pole right now. Like they're all they're all beasts <laughs> that could destroy you pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you you get that sense of respect from like a rookie that's feeling intimidated, but like. I don't know how it is now for a kid like Jack Hughes, but now it's more, like, you know, a guy like Marty Berdur and hockey ops. You're like, holy shnikes, this guy is someone I idolized. But I think we could wrap it up at there, though. Yeah. Thanks for having me yeah, on I once think again. So too. I think, uh, I think, you know, Alex, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Appreciate your insight. Um, definitely. Um, if if and when, uh, hopefully there's a draft whenever it is. Love to have you on again. We can actually, you know. Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely be down and join again to for sure. That I even more available. about what they're going to be. <laughs> That's always good to hear. Although I don't know, maybe Cam Jansen. Maybe you want to have him back on for draft stuff too. I don't, I don't know. Well, I'm not sure if he's in on that, but def I definitely have his number for sure. But I'm I don't not- know. But I do have uh, Will yeah. Scouch as well, who's was on earlier. Oh yeah, Will Scouch is great. I watch his videos all the time. I, yeah, he's really. I'm good. a patron of his. But anyways, I can't wrap this up like a burrito. I'm so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're good. That's it. It's over. It's over. <laughs> all right, I'll, then I'll do it. We're that's it. Have a good night, everybody. That's it. Yep. We're done. Um, uh, Alex, thanks for coming on. It was been a pleasure. It was awesome Thank talking you. Devils hockey. Everybody, have a uh, have support an your local night. Jersey businesses, uh, be baby. Out there, stay at home. 
and support your local. All right, that's a wrap.